You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi williams and this is the You'll Never Sell Alone sports business podcast, The Sportacast. A plus. You knew it was a good one when you said it. That's I did. I did. A plus. Open, my friend. Big news, Scott. Are, are yeah. you getting deja vu whiplash from all these teams for sale? I know. I feel like saying, "Wait a minute, who's for sale? What's for sale?" And <laughs> I mean, everybody in in the industry is talking about like what is going on. Like it, there, there was a ton of teams uh, at whatever you know market net worth uh, of the of the assets, and then all of a sudden Liverpool jumps in, and John Henry decides, well. You know, there's a frothy market, and uh, you know the Red Sox are, are John Henry's first love. And I, I thought he he's kind of dispassionate about Liverpool, and he bought it a while ago from George Gillette and Tom Hicks, and the valuation has skyrocketed, and it's the most popular team in the U.S. among you know American fans and a global brand. So why don't I allow Goldman Sachs and uh, and Morgan Stanley? Uh, they've been working on behalf of the club for about a year and a half now to bring in some limited partners. And of course, Redbird Capital did join about a year ago. So why not let them accept the tire kickers, right? There's no, no harm here to see what the offers would be. Do you think you can get two uber wealthy entities? And unlike these US team sales, we're not talking about individuals here. We could talk about sovereign wealth funds. Would the Saudis say, well, Newcastle's nice, but that's Liverpool. Should we maybe put Newcastle on the market and look to purchase Liverpool? Why not explore uh, what's possible and what the offers would be? I do wonder, Scott, if if we're hitting this kind of divergent point between the the economics of owning a team in the U.S. and the structure that that has been built around big U.S. leagues like the NFL and the NBA, particularly around fixed costs and the lack of relegation, and the structure you're seeing in the U.K. You and I spent a lot of time earlier this year talking about Chelsea and the Broncos. They were on the market at the same time. There was a chance they were going to sell for roughly the same number. It didn't happen that way. The Broncos sold for way more. But I think we're now going to enter another period where Liverpool and the Washington Commanders are on the market. I think there's a good chance that both of these teams sell for five billion, five plus billion, something in that range. And again, the economics of holding these two teams so different. You have a, a an NFL team that is going to spin off 150, 200 million dollars of profit, cash, U.S. dollars every year, and and Liverpool to continue to play 
in the pool alongside Chelsea and PSG and Real Madrid and Barcelona is going to need to be spending a lot of money and probably operating in the red, maybe roughly similar amounts, $100 million a year uh, for at least the near the near future. So again, these two assets that are probably going to sell for roughly the same amount of money, give or take a little bit, but the economics of holding them and operating them are just so vastly different between the NFL and English Premier League soccer. Well, you wonder then, does it does it indicate what kind of an investor the prospective buyers are? I think you it know? does. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. You know, are, are yeah. you conservative? Are you aggressive? Because I, I got to tell you, especially buying into the Premier League and uh, wondering if things are going to change uh, in terms of financial uh, fair play and and will there be a limit as to what people can spend? Um, I'd be I'd be really scared <laughs> about spending four, five, six billion dollars on an asset that could be relegated. That that would scare the bejesus out of me. And by the way, well, let's say you can do everything right, get a couple of injuries, things don't work out, you find yourself in the bottom three. Oops. Yeah, I mean, you see, if, if you look at, and, and Kurt Bodenhausen did this for us last year, but if you look at the valuations of Premier League clubs, you get the, the big six at the top, and then there's a huge gap between those six and everybody else. And that's essentially because it would take something so catastrophic, it's even unthinkable that that a, that a team like Arsenal or Liverpool or Manchester United would ever get relegated, right? So I think that's even beyond the disaster scenario. But yes, again, b- because you are at that tier, you also just need to spend to stay at that tier. And I think that's the that's the big break that I think is is happening. And 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 we may be seeing along along these lines that you're talking about about how different owners. There's a good chance that that, that Fenway Sports Group just doesn't sees where where this is going and doesn't want to have to do that, right? To, to keep putting up the hundreds of millions of dollars every year just to capture the appreciation in, in 10 years. Now, some people may be very interested in doing that. And I think you're going to see a kind of a different approach here from the buyers for, for some of these clubs that are on the market. That sound I'm potting up that you'll never walk alone. So I asked you this question last week, Scott, when the commander's news dropped, and I'll ask it again because I, I I think at some point it actually does become worth it. I, I, do, do we hit a point at which there's so many of these clubs on the market that the supply starts to affect the prices that, that might exist? We're going to have a lot of the same people interested in a number of these different clubs. At what point is there just too many or is there never a point where there's just too many multi-billion dollar sports franchises out there? I don't think... I don't think now we're at that point. No, Uh, there's so much interest. And again, we've talked about the runway, that prospective owners. The first question you need to answer as a prospective owner is, why am I doing this? Then you get all your advice and say, which league and why, right? It's a a big difference if you're looking at the Ottawa Senators and you're looking at Liverpool, right? You know, why why am I into Ryan Reynolds? You know, he bought Wrexham for a reason. (laughs) You know, it's a content play and he's going to make a lot of money on it. Yes, but... Now he's looking at the Ottawa Senators. He's Canadian, likes hockey. You're in the capital of the country. Uh, they need a new stadium. All right, maybe he can be the face of a group that brings this thing. All right, I don't see him 
now saying, you know, uh, I've, I've had success in my six months at Wrexham. I think I should bid for Liverpool. Now. Let me be the face <laughs> of that. So the, the gap between Wrexham and, and the Senators is way bigger than the gap between the Senators and Liverpool, to be very clear. Well, let's see. You're talking, well, like a billion dollar gap between Ottawa and Wrexham. I'm and now if you're looking at Ottawa and Liverpool, I think, no, the, I, I think you're wrong on that one. The gap between in, in Ottawa and money, Liverpool. You're right. In percentages. Uh, yeah. I, what did they pay? $5 million for Wrexham? Maybe. You saw, you know, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Something yeah. very small. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, yes. A very small amount. Um, so uh, I, I think you've got so many people, sophisticated people who understand that the investment in sport is no longer the mom and pop. Mm-hmm. That we're talking about real estate, finance, media, globality, content. How do we monetize the brand on a global basis? The team is the spoke of the wheel, and now there's all these different offshoots how we can capitalize. So uh, I would be shocked if right now supply exceeded demand. But the question is, why is this all happening now? You, you know, you've got your invest, your two investigations, right? You had a death. I think it's it's fascinating to actually look at it. Mm-hmm. The death of Eugene Melnick. That's yep. why the Ottawa Senators are being sold. Okay, that's one. If he was alive, he would not be selling the Senators. Uh, you have the Commanders investigation. Then you had the Phoenix Suns investigation. Those two franchises, Snyder um, and uh, Bob Sarver certainly would not be selling their franchises if if that had not come out. So, you know, take those three off the market and you're still a little heavy, but you're not quite where we are now, where you're like, wait a minute. Now, uh, Liverpool, I really think, again, it, it's we talked about why are you in this? John Henry's going to make a, a pretty penny on this. From when he, he, you know, he saw the global nature. And by the way, as is the stated goal of Fenway, we know that Fenway wants to buy the Las Vegas NBA team. Yeah, they want to be bigger. That is no, they are. Yep. the expansion fee for the for the Las Vegas NBA team ain't going to be little, right? So if you can dump Liverpool, take the cash, then move forward with an NBA team in Las Vegas, fits nicely in the portfolio of everything else they have, and they can still look, by the way, to expand internationally with other teams, if, should they choose. So uh, there's different reasons as to why all of these sales are taking place. And I, I think it's, you got to look at it and, and understand in each. And like Ted Lerner, you know, he, he's owned the Nationals for a really long time. It's not like it's financial trouble. For him, it's just time to unload the asset, right? And so, probably the same for Artie Moreno. In, probably the same for Artie Moreno, who, who has not had the most on-field success, <laughs> to, to put it mildly, um, with, with the Angels yet. So it's just an interesting time. I'm looking at why, if there was one a singular event as to why all these teams were out and, and why everybody wanted in, okay. But it's just not the case. There, there, there's differing pieces. And you have these portfolio companies and individuals trying to get in the game. You know, We know Josh Harris looks at everything. What does he want to add, whether individually or with Harris Blitzer? Um, so there's, there's a lot of real estate in Harris Blitzer. And we have we have the Sixers, we have the Devils. You've got the Prudential Center. Um, now, Josh started an outside you know an investment firm. Uh, so, I, I just like to see the motivations, and then it, it may clue in as to who may buy it and why. He's also an, an, an LP in uh, in Crystal Palace. So, if you were Crystal to buy Palace, yes. Liverpool, that would spark an, an, another sale for a different. And the fun, reason the than funny the thing that, is, like I watched, I wa- I was I you know I don't sit there and watch anything religiously, but I did see, and I'm assuming it held up. 
But I was flicking through and I saw Palace scored a very late goal wherever the, wherever they were. Was it West Ham? Help me yeah, out here. Yeah, I, all right. But whatever it was, I, I, I can't help like because we know these people and, and we know how they live and die with the investments. And I saw Palace scored a late goal. They went up 2-1. And I in my head, I'm like, well, oh, Josh and Blitz must be smiling. Like that's what that's what goes on in my in my head. Like I'm thinking of who invests and how their team do. Because we've said it before, when we chat with owners, and I don't know if this is a healthy thing, but when we chat with owners and I say to them, How you doing? And the response, I would say almost 100% of the time, and this is where I would worry for these owners, it correlates to how the team is doing. How are you doing? And the answer is, oh, tough loss this week. I said, no, no, I, I know how the team did. I saw it. How are you doing? It's almost the team becomes the de facto them. Like, like I'm not asking about the team. I'm asking about the person. And yet the response I get is always team related. Yeah. And you know full well that that's, that's probably true for 80% of franchises in the U.S. And then there are owners who know their team is not very good. Some owners, you know this as well, actively want their teams to lose. And, and, and they have a very different interest than... Uh, than the ones who want to win. Do I put you on the spot there and say, wait a minute, I've been, which owner actively (laughs) wants his or her team to lose? They are, I I promise you, they are out there. uh, Why do they want them to lose? Can you give me motivation? Why do they want them to lose? Uh, Thinking about what's future, what's best in terms of potential draft picks and things like that. Um, that, Oh, tanking. There's there's definitely um, a, a thread of owners out there who understand realistically that winning is maybe not the best thing for them. But in European soccer, going back to the point I was making at the beginning, yeah, I find it so interesting because if you own Crystal Palace, your your entire goal is not to get relegated, right? You you yeah. can finish you can finish sixth in the table, you can finish fifteenth in the table. You have the goal of not being relegated, and every game matters so much because of that goal. And if you're Liverpool, every game matters that much because your goal is to finish top three, right? Yeah. Like that is that is the goal. Um, and again, the economics of, of those two things are so vastly different, and that's why Crystal Palace sells for eighty percent less than Liverpool does, probably more more than that in terms of evaluation. Even though they're they're playing in the same league very consistently. Uh, just that the the expectations and, and who you have to compete with to be there is just so vastly different. I had a conversation with an EPL owner that who shall re- remain nameless at uh, at our little uh, rendezvous in London recently, and that owner said they actually do map out the entire season in projection. I'm sure. This is a team we should beat. That's three points. This one, right, realistically, we we won't beat this team on the road, so that's zero points. And every time it goes one way or the other where they get points that they didn't think they would get, there's, there is just absolute euphoria. And then there's the, uh-oh, we just dropped a game at home to a weak team that we thought for sure was three points. There's despair. So It's tough. I, and I, I, can't, I, think I can't imagine looking at all that. Here in the U.S., the NFL definitely operates that way. 17-game regular season. Every yeah, game but you're not getting, important. but you're not getting relegated, so who cares? Exactly. If, you but, can finish last. You can go 0-16. You're going to make money, and then you have the promise of, well, we have you know the top pick, and uh, you know here's your PSL, and you guys should come next year because we're going to have a dandy team. And th- this is why there are owners in the U.S. that are saying, my team is winning too much. There's not many owners in, in European soccer in any capacity uh, that feel as though their uh, their team is winning too much, and, and again, that's another difference. That is another di- another difference. By the way, uh, is uh, in NFL versus EPL is private equity. You know, Corey Leff, our John Wall Street wrote about 
uh, PE is coming to the NFL. And then there was the ellipse. And of course, then the, but when, right? <laughs> and we already know PE is in some of the other leagues. And in fact, the NBA started a PE division. I think Kurt Bodenhausen was first to write that. And it's not so much uh, team related. This is the league office as an entity investing in startups. And we've seen this, but now it's, it's sort of a solidified thing at the NBA because so many of the deals these days and the quickest way to actually making real money is to take equity in startups that are related to the core business. I believe the example in the NBA was New Era, you know, the, the uh, hat apparel yep. company, that it makes sense. And what if you hit one out of whatever, obviously you want to have a better a batting average. But if one really hits, there's, there's your path to real revenue. Yeah, we've talked about this around uh, athletes before, right? Yep. This kind of shift from just taking a check to endorse something to wanting to be an equity holder in it. But the leagues are also coming to the same conclusion. The, the, the obvious, I think, inspiration here is the NFL. What the NFL has done with 32 equity in which they asked every team to put in, a, originally seeded it with 32 million, so a million from each team, and then later up that, I think, to 96 million. Uh, but the NFL has built an equity portfolio that includes... Uh, fanatics. It includes clear. It includes skills. It, it includes, I believe, both Sport Radar and Genius Sports because of two different data deals. It's done with both of those uh, big providers. There's a big portfolio right now. I'm sure there's a few others I'm forgetting there. The NFL has a decent little chunk, a, a little equity, a private equity portfolio. I'm sure NBA owners were also looking at that and saying, why don't we do the same? Why don't we ask every NBA team? I don't think we know exactly how much money, but ask every team to put in the same amount of money. We'll create that that seed fund, um, and, and we'll use that for for strategic opportunities that that will both benefit our league just because we have partnerships with them, and then maybe provide some some, some back end upside uh, if and when there's there's some kind of big shake up, change, IPO, whatever it is at that company. And we know it's not just the leagues; it's also occurring at the team level where for they sure. are they are taking equity in companies that they think are all sport-related or industry-related. And the one you mentioned, uh, the NFL, everybody on the data side wanted the NFL, right? Mm -hmm. The Sport Radar and, and Genius. And you know a significant part of those conversations was, okay, there's the cash component. What are you going to pay us? And then there was the equity component. We want long-term upside in sports betting in the U.S. And when you have the leverage of the NFL being the most popular U.S. sports league, you have these bidders over the uh, over the barrel there. They're willing to give up a, a significant part of their company for the right for that association. And to flip the perspective there for a second, one of the things that I think Michael Rubin and, and the Fanatics Empire has done so well... They knew is how to grow so fast. They this knew. on the yep. other side. Exactly. That, that if you cut players unions and leagues in as equity partners in your company. They also have a reason to stick around with you, an interest in making your business grow as well. As Fanatics expands beyond apparel, they're, they're doing the same thing in trading cards. I imagine they're going to do the same thing in betting as well. If you, if you give leagues, give teams, give players unions equity stakes, uh, it creates a symbiosis and an interest in your company growing that the leagues can help with. So, so I think it makes sense on both sides. And as both corners of this market realize this. I think there's going to be more of this to come. And I wouldn't be shocked to see if, if they're not already doing it. Other leagues like Major League Baseball and, 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 and the NHL following suit. Did you happen to see the video of Chris Paul talking about Michael Rubin divesting from Harris I did. Blitzer? Yeah. Okay. It, it, I, I don't think we should just maybe I, we weren't planning on talking about it. You and I talked about it off air. But I think that's a big moment, actually. 
Hmm. Um, and, and Michael getting out for myriad reasons. But one of the side effects of it was that there's a rule that, of course, like prevents um, players from having equity in any company where an owner has a stake in pro sport, you know, in, in that league. So when Michael Rubin divested from Harris Blitzer, of course, that means Sixers and Devils. That now allows NBA and NHL players to come in alongside Blitz. Uh, I'm sorry, um, Michael Rubin. Rubin on fanatics and the ancillary things he's building there. And Chris Paul, he, he gave a heartfelt speech on what it meant for someone like Ruben. These are his, his words for someone like Ruben to be inclusive of the players, to understand that there's value in the players and that they want to come in on these things as, as they're playing and grow with them and help them grow. Um, I, I'm curious to see if long-term because there are so many of these situations now, if the rule has not become antiquated. Hmm. Would you mind, if, if I own a team or if I'm the league, pick any player wants to invest in the company of somebody who has a stake in a team. Or I'm like, I don't know. At this point, I'm, I'm not so sure that there's merit in such a rule. Um, and I think it would mean something. In, in the collective bargaining talks with the players, clearly it would resonate with the players if they had an opportunity or more of an opportunity to do business with the owners of all the clubs, not just necessarily their own or somebody with an outside interest. The obvious concern here being some kind of salary cap circumvention sure, and, I, and, and conflicts let, of interest. Let's approve, let's approve it on a deal basis then. Chris, you, you know. Chris Paul was, a, was, was shortly after the Michael Rubin divested of those stakes was part of a, a very, very big NBA contingent that invested in Mitchell and Ness, which, which yep. Fanatics owns the majority of. Um, and two of the two of the people who also invested, Joel Embiid and James Harden, are 76ers players, right? Yep. Um, so I, I can certainly understand a world in which that is just thorny enough where a 76ers LP is, is doing deals, taking equity investments from players on his own team. And, and what price are they paying in at? I can understand the, the concern there from the NBA. But I think you're right. In some ways, as this becomes more and more common, it's going to be inevitable <laughs> in, in some way, right? I mean, the NBA can invest, and I don't believe the NBA ever invested in fanatics, but, but in a world in which it did, is that that different than individual players being able to invest alongside an owner? Is the, the NBA as a whole investing alongside an owner? Who knows? But yeah, I think it's, I, I think it's a good point that at some point, um, obviously, given the concerns around conflict of interest, there may be a middle ground to, to allow players to do this. All right, I'm going to give value add. Last time you said I had two good points. I'm going to do it again, and maybe people have not heard these stories. But once again, I'd like to bring up Grant Hill because I, I consider Grant to be one of the most astute athletes, um, at least that I've ever dealt with. I really enjoyed it. I mean, there are many others, uh, but Grant was you know, always kind of that North Star for me and athletes who understood how it all worked and how it all fit together. And, and that was, a, of course, a byproduct of having a professional athlete father. And and a mother who was very active, you know, she's on the board at Carlisle before she passed away, Janet Hill. So Grant learned early in his career that when he went on the road, and let's say he had an off day, uh, he didn't go to the zoo, he didn't go to the movies, he didn't stay in his room and play video games. What Grant would do is set up meetings with the opposing team owner. He wanted to know. What's your core business? How can I learn from you? Is there something we can do together down the line? And then I'm going to bring up Andre Iguodala, who, when he signed with the Warriors, made it clear why. He signed in Golden State 
not because Steph Curry was there and he thought he was going to win a championship. The main driver of his de- of his decision to go play for the Warriors was Joe Lacob and, and you know a, a partner in Kleiner Perkins. Hmm. He said, "If I'm going to be involved in Silicon Valley, this is a guy I want to be next to. I want to learn from. I want to be in deal flow with. So I might as well play for his team, get to know him, establish that relationship." That will help me down the line. And I think we've seen that Andre Iguodala is, again, one of the more sophisticated investors that we've seen among pro athletes. So uh, I I think it would be when you talk about, uh, and we hear this a lot from sports leagues and players that we're partners in all this, not only symbolic, but a recognition of what matters to players. And this, by the way, it's got, it's a ton of goodwill and you're not giving up decimal points in negotiation. It's mm-hmm. got nothing to do with that, but a ton of goodwill. If I'm Adam Silver and I recognize that the ability to do these things to a growing and significant portion of my quote unquote partners, players on the other side of the table, this is something they ought to consider loosening those rules and let them do these things. And it would probably put money in owner's pockets too, right? The this Fanatics investment. Who are they going to go to first? Mitchell yeah. and Ness. Do you think it's a good idea to have yes. Chris Paul and Kevin Durant and, and LeBron James on the Mitchell and Ness cap table? I think that's probably a great idea for the people who own Mitchell and Ness. So, so yes, I think it is. You're right. I think it is a, a chit that would I, would be very valuable with with players. But I also think there's an argument for owners that that loosening these restrictions also puts money in their own pockets by opening them up to do these deals as well. All right. Uh, I'll be opening money up and tell me about DraftKings. This is one you want to discuss. All I saw the other day was stock got hammered. Was it down 30% or so the other day? Yeah, fell. They they declared Q3 earnings on on Friday morning before the open, and and the stock was down almost 30% on the day, uh, which is not uncommon for for companies that have big news or something goes horribly wrong with their business. But that wasn't the case. It, it wasn't really the case with, with DraftKings. DraftKings is, is losing money, and, and they made it very clear that that's going to continue at least for four more quarters. Um, but largely, if you follow DraftKings business, I don't think there was anything really that surprising in, in, in this earnings call. Sports betting is right now in the U.S. Uh, a money-losing business. You have to spend a lot on customer acquisition. Um, that's been very clear. I think DraftKings has been clear about it. DraftKings consistently is is beating revenue estimates. They're beating loss per share estimates, and yet their stock is falling a lot on uh, on their on their currently earnings earnings days. I just think it's a really interesting moment. We talked a few weeks ago about Fubo TV getting out of sports betting. I think they realized that the economics and the way that they had set it up maybe didn't make sense for them. I don't think they're going to be the only one. Um, but I'm consistently fascinated by the business around. U.S. sports betting right now, particularly for these publicly traded companies. And DraftKings, because it is standalone and it is publicly traded here in the U.S., is maybe the best example of that. But uh, the the market continues to be very unfavorable towards companies that are not showing a profit and are not going to be showing a profit anytime soon, even if some of the other underlying numbers seem to outperform expectation. All right. Uh, We don't usually do this, but I'm going to tell you on my, I've been on so many flights recently trying to sleep never happened so i wound up watching a documentary on gamestop hmm. um it, the, the, the gamestop craze yeah the gamestop craze ago, yeah 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 your retail investors and um and the relationship between the institutional capital and i'll let you go look at the particular institution and, and institutions and individuals behind them okay um with with robin hood um, I enjoyed it. That's all I'll say. I'll enjoy it. I'm not going to make any determinations. 
I will say if if you're if you're interested in the relationship of the counterparties and how it affected Robin Hood uh, and why it might 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 have affected Robin Hood's decisions to do what it did when it stopped buy trades. Um, I would say go do it. It was interesting. It was a solid use of my time. Yeah, I think the, the that will I think will go down as the kind of the the dawning of the age of the meme stock in in some ways, right? And I think cryptocurrency kind of falls into that bucket in some ways as well. But I'll definitely check that out because I'm fascinated by it as well. All right, now I'm going to throw your loop. Due to all of my travels, Eben Novi Williams, I'm very tired. So maybe you should just do the closing of the show. I will happily do that. He is Scott Soshnick on Twitter at Soshnick. I am Eben Novi Williams on Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. The show is produced by Matt Whitehurst. Shout out to Matt. Sportico's digital media editor, Cora Veltman, would like you to know that you can download this show wherever you get your podcasts. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.